My name is Lou Blazer, and you're listening to Second Breaks, a show where we talk about embracing our midlife and having a blast in this time of our life. We talk a lot about pivots and reinventions too, because often that's what many of us are having to do. Now, I am not an expert on midlife living, but I bring in varied voices to help us all figure out for ourselves what it takes to have a great experience in our middle years. Okie dokie, on to the show! Here's the truth. The higher we are in the proverbial career ladder, the harder it is to let go and start something new. There's just so much to, well, let go. It doesn't even matter if we loved the things we're letting go of or not. It just feels like there's so much at stake to deliberately choose to get off one particular ladder and pick a new one. First of all, if you think about it, by the time we get to midlife, and especially if we've been on one successful career path, our identities are so tied to that career. Just imagine for a second how you typically introduce yourself to new people. If you tend to lead with what you do as a way to introduce yourself, Hi, I'm Lou Blazer. I'm an advisory director with PwC. Then you know what I mean when I say our identities are tied to our careers. That was certainly one of the things that I had a hard time with. I talked about that on the show previously. And then if we do manage to gather enough courage to take a chance, then we try to compensate by drawing up very tight plans, a tight script of how things should unfold or should happen. And we do this because we're trying our dang best to guarantee as much as possible our success before we can fully commit to the change because it's a big thing, right? It's a big risk or it feels like so. The thing is, this this coming up with a tight plan, it hardly ever works. We have to release our hold of the thing before we can grab on to something else. We have to make space for the new thing in our lives And we have to be open to it to begin with, to the new thing, which by definition is new, which means we don't know much about it yet, and therefore we cannot really plan so tightly around it. All this is what we're going to be talking about today with my guest, Donna Bond, who underwent a pretty significant career and personal reinvention herself. Today, Donna is a spiritual advisor and a business and life coach. She is the author of the book, Original Wisdom, Harness the Power of the Authentic You. But before she found this new path, Donna was near the top of her chosen career ladder in marketing. She had worked long and hard to attain that success, and so it was not a small matter to deliberately leave it for something else that was totally new and so totally different from her previous career path. And so on this episode, we talk about letting go, letting go of job titles, of existing metrics of success, oh boy, and letting go of previous identities. Donna shared what she did to bridge where she was to where she could be. And this, what she described, is such a great approach, especially if you don't know exactly where you want to be yet, and you're still in the experimentation stage or 
you know, figuring things out. Donna said every step we make changes the landscape. And so instead of tight plans, she talked about having a compass instead. Now, this idea that every time we take action, it changes the landscape, it really struck me. And I've been thinking about it ever since we chatted, applying it to my own experiences and realizing that this is so often true. What we do and how we do it affects what happens next. We are co-creators of our world, so long as we are taking action and not simply being bystanders. I would love to hear from you about what you thought about a topic of today. You can reach me at Lou Blazer on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send me an email, lou at secondbreaks.com. Hearing from you will make my day. Okie dokie, let me step out of the way. Here's my chat with Donna Bond. Donna, welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Lou, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I was wondering if uh, maybe we could start in the middle of things. <laughs> I know that there was a point in your story where, you know, you realize something's got to change in terms of your career. You were in corporate America. Could you kind of set the scene for us? Take us back to that time when you were still in corporate America uh, and feeling, you know, this feeling started like, uh, Maybe something's yeah. got to change. You know what? I'm going to take you way back. So I worked for a little hospitality company in Southern California uh, called Sunstone Hotels. And I was their West Coast vice president of sales and marketing. And after the 2008 crash, myself and 60 other people who worked for the hospitality company, we all lost our jobs. And the truth is... I knew then that I was done with hotels because I had, you know, gotten out of college or I had gone to college for a hotel restaurant management degree. I had worked, you know, 25 years in the business and deep down I knew I was done, but there was not one bone in my body, not one brain cell in my mind that honestly believed I could do anything different. For the first time in my life, I was no longer relocatable. And that's really how I moved up very quickly in my career. I was young. I was single. I used to get these phone calls. Do you want to go to Memphis, Tennessee or Fort Lauderdale, Florida? And I would drop everything and everyone and I would go off to the next best job. So I, in 2008 on Match.com, I met the love of my life, Paul Bond, we got married in 2009. And so for the first time in my life, I was no longer willing to just drop everything and go. And my husband is a fine artist. And we had just invested a lot of time and energy and love and attention into birthing his career as a fine artist. He's an oil painter. And I love California. I still love California and I didn't want to leave. So I went 15 minutes down the street. There's a beautiful luxury hotel, um, the Ritz Carlton Laguna Niguel, which is a flagship property in the resort portfolio with the Ritz Carlton. And I got myself hired there as the director of sales and marketing. 
Truthfully, after 60 days on that job, I tried to resign. I walked into my boss's office and I was like, you know, I'm I'm feeling a little repressed here because I used to be a vice president and I had a whole lot of power and control and now I have to answer to you. Well, he convinced me that I was making a very, very big mistake. And like a good soldier, I got on his train and he said, you know, it's been 60 days and you haven't really been here long enough to make an informed decision. Give it another 60 days. And I, so I agreed. Well, that 60 days turned into four years and a frozen shoulder. On or around year three, I am very unhappy and I go crying to a psychic that I have done many times before in my career. I have to be honest with you. I was like sobbing in this woman's arms and I said, I've got to find my purpose. Like, please, I'm, I'm begging, like, please help me find my purpose. And she said, Donna, they're spelling it out for me. Spiritual psychology. And I said, what in the hell is spiritual psychology, right? So she gave me the names of two universities that teach a program in this. So I went home and consulted the real Oracle, Google. Very quickly, I found my way to the University of Santa Monica. And Lou, it didn't make any sense at all. I was working a a 60-hour-a-week job. I was not well physically. I was exhausted. I was emotionally drained. I was spiritually bankrupt. I was a I was a big hot mess. But for whatever reason, something that was beyond me, I enrolled myself in this program. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. And so fast forward a year into the program, I'm on my way to the Ritz-Carlton Global Leadership Exchange Conference, and I'm reading a book. And what happened in that book, which I'll save for people who are going to read my book, is I had divine guidance given to me that it was time to quit this job. And the truth was, I did not have a clue or a plan or any of it, but I had such a strong inner pull that I did it. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of support from the universe in a lot of different ways, but those, but those ways were not like safety, security, comfort, or control. It was like the universe was nodding to me that, yeah, this is the right choice, even though it's completely insane. There's something that you said um, at the beginning of the story when you said, even back then, I think it was 2008, yeah. that there was already something in the back of your mind that says, you know what, I I may have to do something different. But you didn't listen to it then. You didn't let oh, it, no. you didn't follow it. How come? No, truly there, you know, I had bought in to these belief systems that, you got to go to school and you have to get an education and you got to, you know, tenure in something. And here I was like knocking on the door to my forties, the idea of having to begin again seemed impossible to me. And I also was holding the belief system that in order to get back 
to the same salary level that I was at, that I would need another 25, 28 years of experience under my belt. And so this was like the belief system that was operating in my consciousness. And it was through earning my master's at the University of Santa Monica in spiritual psychology with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing that I was able to unravel all of these belief systems, that I was really able to discover that I am way more capable than what I have been taught to believe. And what I now know to be true is that so is every single person on this mm-hmm. planet. Mm-hmm. Were you, and I don't know if this applies, uh, applied to you, this certainly was a little bit of my story, was that, you know, I was in corporate America for all my professional life. I was very successful there. It was part of my identity. Like I walk in and I introduce myself to people. I'm a senior director at PwC and everybody kind of knew what I did or who I worked for. And I didn't have to explain anything anymore after that. You know, did did that come into play at all? Like, who am I if I wasn't this person? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because we definitely wrap up our identity in what we do. Yeah. In our job title. In our job title. A hundred percent. We introduce ourselves and then we say what we do. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's so great. I I teach um, an online masterclass called Empower the Authentic You. And I have a lot of very uh, accomplished individuals who participate in this class. I invite them to share with me their name, where they're from, and tell me something that you love. Like, I don't want to hear about what you do. And I don't even want the other participants in the group to know what you do. Because it really is a process of beginning to to peel away these misidentifications, these layers, and these uh, false roles that we pigeonhole ourselves into. So yes, I definitely, definitely went through the identity crisis. Um, As a matter of fact, the first time that I can remember, you know, this program was one in which we spent a lot of time listening to one another, deeply listening to one another. And when somebody gives you that privilege, I know, you know, you do this on your podcast, right, where you're deeply listening to people, it opens up a space for truth and honesty to come forward. And the first time that out of my mouth came, oh, I want to be a spiritual teacher. My corporate persona was like, Wait a minute. Wait, what just happened? What? <laughs> what are you saying right now? So there was right, a right. lot of, you know, a lot of fear around that, you know, oh, I'm going to be woo-woo and I am woo-woo and I love every woo-woo piece of me. But but back then, it was super scary. Were you known to be, to use the phrase woo-woo when you no. were in corporate oh, America? No. No, 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 no. Now, people knew. So I actually have been a spiritual seeker since I was 12. I have hundreds of books in my office. Like, this is my love, my passion, you know, psychology and spirituality and metaphysics. Uh But it was something that people, they knew that I like sort of had this part of me locked in the closet. 
Right, right, right. right. And they would poke fun at it. Like I have these um, angel cards that have been on my desk literally since the 1980s. And I am not making this up. And I would have these on my desk at the Ritz Carlton and people would come in and they'd, they'd pick a card. This one says abundance. And I had a, a magic wand actually, which was this really cool uh, like kaleidoscope thing. And I would have that sitting there and, and people knew that they could come into my office and just unload and they could say anything and it was okay. And I'd give them a pep talk and they'd go back to work and, you know, I sort of always had that, but I never really recognized it myself as, you know, the coach. So when 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 people that you knew from from your previous career found out what you're doing today, are they surprised or are they going, oh, yeah, but that has always been that way? No, they, they were definitely surprised, Lou, because I walked away. I walked away from a lot of money, from a huge bonus. Um, I walked away from a really good amount of prestige, from status. Um, People definitely thought that I was nuts. And the people who really knew me have been able to say, yeah, this totally makes sense. And I support you 100%. Even though, you know, I think people have their own, they project their own fears. Yes. Right. They project their own fears. And so perhaps it was more about them that they couldn't see themselves doing something like that. But I was definitely the subject of uh, some good amount of criticism for a while there. That bit, that's like a big, there's a lot of preconceived notions about success, right? That was wrapped up in what you just said, the the impressive job title, the size of our office, how many people reported to us, the big salary, the the bonus, that those were the physical or external manifestations of success and that people see. And to to walk away from those is a big hurdle deal yeah right so how did you go through that like how did what kind of process if anything if I don't know if it was like a um something that was happening subconsciously for you or something that you were actively working on at that time how did you reconcile that these are external you know success metrics but I don't need them anymore or like you know how did you go through that yeah I love your question First and foremost, it was definitely a process. And I would also tell you that there was no grand plan. Like I would love to say like, oh yeah, you know, I visualized the whole thing and then it manifested, (laughs) but that's not what happened. What happened, Lou, was that I would take one step like in the direction that I wanted to go in. And then the next step would become illuminated. Mm. But that's the step that would become illuminated. That wasn't going to happen until I made the first move. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think we get stuck and where people are afraid because they want to know that they made the right move. Well, I want to share with everyone, you can't make a wrong move. 
You can't make a wrong move because life is designed to give us experiences that are inviting us into our next level of potential. Mm -hmm. And we can't grow there without taking those steps. So when we can begin to see life as the stepping stones to wherever it is we're going next, regardless of what happens, then we can view life from a more empowered place instead of feeling victimized, like, you know, we're at, we're at the mercy of life's whim, which a lot of us, you know, can buy into that. But we get to choose how we relate to it. So taking one step, every step that we take reorganizes the landscape around us, right? So when we plan it all out and we've got our steps from A to Z, we get fixated on that because we want safety, security, comfort, and control. We want to know what the return on the investment is going to be. We want to know how long it's going to take and what am I going to get out of it? We want to know what the what the escape route is, right? Like what's the exit plan? We, we want to know all this stuff in advance before we're willing to make a move. Well, this is totally not what I did. And that, what I just described, was how I used to live my life back in the day. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a position to force our way upon life, which can give us an experience of rigidity because we're trying to push and force against life instead of in the flow of life. We're like, we're trying to impose a certain order or sequence of things to happen ahead of time. Right. But with every step we take, the landscape changes. And so perhaps an option that becomes available to us after five steps, that option was never even a possibility back at step number one, but we didn't know that yet because we hadn't taken step number one. I know it's like we always want to play it safe and we want to set up camp and we want to make sure I got all my ducks in a row. I want to say, throw out the plan. We're going to get back to that interview shortly. I just wanted to briefly mention that this podcast is made possible by Midlife Cues. The Midlife Cues is a weekly digital publication for midlifers who are keen on making the most of their midlife. Every Sunday, we explore topics that help us live a joyful midlife. We talk about health and well-being. We talk about midlife mindset, one of the most important foundational things that we really need to master. We examine what growing bolder in our middle years mean for each of us individually. And we explore how we redefine success at work and in life. Give Midlife Cues a try by signing up for your free copy at midlifecues.com. Okie dokie, let's get back to the conversation. I guess there's a part of it. I know some of some of the experiences that I had when I made a change, stepping away from my corporate life and doing something different is that I guess some people who knew me back then, who knew what my career was and 
the trajectory of that career, I guess out of concern or to your point, they may be projecting their own fears. Like they, when they ask me about my plans or it's almost as if I had to present, and this is a, I realize as I'm saying the words, this is a, a pressure that I put on myself, but I felt like I had to present a planned picture to them. I couldn't just say, well, I'm thinking of doing this and I'm going to explore this for a little bit and we'll see what happens. I had to come up with like, as if I was presenting a fully thought out planned, you know, business plan of what I'm going to do so that this, this change that I'm about to make would make sense to them. Did you experience something like that? Yes. And and here's the thing. We do that also for ourselves. And mm. what you're describing, um, I think is very real because we have to feel safe as mm. we move through these changes. So what I didn't share and what was very real is that when I quit my job, like I knew that I was done. I, I knew it and I couldn't do it for another another minute. And at that time, there was nothing in my sphere yet that suggested I was going to be, you know, a transformational coach and a spiritual teacher. That sort of hadn't shown up yet. So I did what I could from where I was. And what I did was I birthed a company called Donabon Marketing. And I started a marketing consultancy and I could start a marketing consultancy because I had, you know, 28 years in the business. I had a lot of contacts and I was very good at what I was doing. So that's what I did. And that became my bridge. And here's the thing. I didn't really know that at the time, Lou. Like I can see it now because I look back on it, right? It seemed like what the next logical step was going to be. And it was also fulfilling some of the pillars. I think when, we, when we're ready to make a move, it's important to get clear about the qualities and the, the context of what it is we want to experience more of. But where people get in trouble and where we pigeonhole ourselves again is that we try to be a little bit too specific. Again, like I didn't know that I was going to be a transformational coach and a spiritual teacher. But what I did know was that I wanted more freedom. What I did know was that I was ready to be my own boss and call my own shots. I knew that I wanted to make a difference in my own life and the lives of others. So like I had these pieces, right? Even though I didn't have the whole picture, I had these little jewels. And and that's kind of what I hung on to. And that's also what I used as my compass, right? It was like, oh, this certain thing is now presenting itself to me. Does it line up with these little pieces that I have or not. And if it doesn't, then okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to go in that door number one, right? Like maybe I got to wait till door number three. But another important comment that I want to make is that we must stay in action. We have to be willing to take some actions that maybe aren't going to get us to the 
you know, perceived finish line. And the finish line is perceived, right? Because it's something that we make up in our own mind. I loved how you use those bits and pieces as compass. It's almost like it's, so you may not know specifics, but as long as I'm directionally going there, where it's going to lead me to experiencing these things that I want to be experiencing, then okay, I'm going to go along. As opposed to designing like a complete specific picture of what that end point is. I, I really love that. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about your book, Donna. You know, I was going through the book as in preparation for our chat. And there was something as you were telling your story that it's, that struck me. And I thought, if you don't mind just talking a little bit about this, because you were, there was a point in time when you said that you felt like you were um, blaming situations, external, you know, situations yeah. or other people for the discontent, like it's because of my boss, it's because yeah. of the company, it's because of this, it's because of that. That's the reason why I'm unhappy. And it struck me because I hear this often, with, mm. you know, from other people. And I do that too sometimes, like, right? Like we blame or we, we look to other external situations for the reason for why we're unhappy. That if my boss were just to change, I would be happy with my job. <laughs> The world would just behave the way that I wanted to, then I get to exactly. feel Exactly. I was wondering if, if you wouldn't mind just sharing how, like, how did that change for you? Like, like, how did you first, how did you figure out that, wait a second, I am focusing on other people. And how did, how did you start flipping the, 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 the scenery in your head a little bit? Yeah. Well, I have to give credit where credit is due. And this all began to unfold for me through the education that I received at the University of Santa Monica. To summarize it, life is a mirror. Life is reflecting back to us the material that we have in our own consciousness. Life is our mirror. So when we are you know, in discontent about something, the place that we need to go to fix it is not out there somewhere in the world, right? It's in here inside of me. Let me give you an example. You know, you and I can both walk into the same exact room and I can perceive that room as absolutely beautiful. I love everything in there. I love the carpet, the paint, the draperies. I love the decor. I think it's magnificent. You can walk into the exact same room and you might not like any of it, right? We get to choose how we see things. So when we see things through a lens that may be clouded with our own stuff, our own feelings of uh, betrayal or lack of self-worth or lack of confidence. It clouds the way that we see things. Mm -hmm. And that's why you and I can walk into the same room and see things in a completely different way. Right. And it colors our experience of it. Because if I walk into the room not liking anything in the room, then obviously I'm not going to have a good experience in the room. <laughs> exactly. So what I learned, Lou, was that I was the one who was giving meaning to what was going on in that room. 
And that I had the power and only I had the power to change the way that I saw it. And once I began to take a deeper level of responsibility for that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's just a pen. The pen is the pen. But I'm the one who could say, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful pen in the world. And it's, (laughs) it's purple and it has the best ink and right. Or it can be a whole lot of nothing. Exactly. Do you ever, from now, you know, every now and again, do you still catch yourself in a situation where you're, you are giving meaning to something? So oh, yeah. you are, every single and, day. and are there, and so, so ask differently, are there things that I can do or our listeners can do to kind of catch themselves when it's happening? Kind of like, how do we, you know, oh, that's, I'm doing that again. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. What you're talking about is interrupting our patterns. Hmm. We can make small changes even. You know, we're very habitual creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a show earlier today and with uh, a gentleman by the name of Jay Campbell, who was sharing with me an experience about breaking a glass. Hmm. And he dropped a glass and had this really strong reaction to it. And he recognized through the help of his girlfriend that the way he was reacting was the way he was taught to react from his father and his father and his father. And his girlfriend had said, hey, it's just a glass. It's okay, right? And in that moment, he had a revelation that he could change the way in which he was relating to the experience that was in front of him. So I guess maybe that's the gold nugget and the takeaway is that we can change the way in which we relate to something. And oftentimes we relate to it out of our habitual patterning, out of our conditioning, out of the way that our parents taught us or our teachers or our government or our religion or our society. Like there's a long list of influencers. But we can take a pause and we can slow down. And when we do that, we let grace into the room. Yes, because a lot of those reactions to things when they happen are automatic. That's just how I react. The, 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 the cup fell and it broke and I automatically explode. And that's automatic without thinking. You know, oftentimes there are deeper things connected to why we have these involuntary, you know, reactivity responses to things. And this is some of the work that I do. Like, Which is a good segue because I wanted to ask you, Donna, to talk a little bit about your work, the work that you do today, as well as the book. Can you talk, tell us a little bit about what you do today? What is uh, spiritual, what is it called? Spiritual psychology. psychology. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, well, spiritual psychology was developed by doctors Ron and Mary Holnick, and it's really a technology that teaches us that everything that's happening in our life is happening for us, that all of life's experiences are giving us the opportunity to grow and learn and evolve. And so what I help my clients do is I help them see their life through the lens 
of their original wisdom, which is the name of my book and uh, what the book is about, right? It's like, how do we empower that higher part of ourself and enfold that higher part of ourself into our day-to-day life? And that's really what I'm helping people do. You know, we as a society, I think we're, we're so reliant on our intellect. And I think we were all brought up that way, right? You got to have the right answer. You got to know what you're talking about. And, and that has created a lot of pressure on our intellect. But we also have all these other intelligence that are part of our person right? We have emotional intelligence, which is sort of making its way in the world. People are becoming more uh, informed about what emotional intelligence is. We have physical intelligence, which most of us ignore at our peril, right? We have information coming from our bodies all the time. Um, I know as a corporate executive, the strategy is to ignore it. That's the strategy if you're in corporate America and your body's trying to tell you something, right? That's how I got myself into a big hot mess with a frozen shoulder. Yeah, which is all beautiful and divine and part of my story now. But we also have a spiritual intelligence, right? We have a whole energy body that's very real, but because we're not taught about it and we can't see it, we discard it, we override it. And this part of ourselves is very real um, and very present when we are willing to move our ego, our persona, the roles that we play, the titles that we have, when we're willing to let those step aside And we can ground ourselves in more of that beautiful, loving essence, right? There's form and there's essence. And what I'm helping people do is get more in touch with their essence, with their original wisdom. Well, I am going to put a link to your book on the show notes. But do you work with folks today? Do you work one-on-one only or do you work with groups? How do you work with folks these days? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I do all of it. I facilitate private one-on-one coaching journeys. Um, I do group coaching journeys as well as online masterclasses. So you can go to my website to donnabond.com and click on courses. And uh, there's actually a a free course there that your listeners are uh, invited to take a look at. It's called Four Ways to Get Unstuck. And I really share with with people, what what does transformation look like? Like, what is the path of transformation look like? And why do we even want to embark on it? And so the four ways to get unstuck will reveal transformation happens in a spiral. And in our linear thinking, in our humanness, you know, we want to make it straight. We want there to be a clear starting line and we want there to be a clear finish line. The truth is, Lou, there isn't. It's not that way. You know, growth happens in a spiral. And I like to think we take a lap around the spiral, right? We learn some things when we take that lap around the spiral. And every time we take a lap around the spiral, we go up a little 
and we go out a little. And we take another lap and we go up a little bit more and we go out a little bit more. And every time we go up and out, we get a different perspective. We get a higher perspective. And, the you know, everyone is on a spiritual path. It's just a matter of how much awareness or consciousness we bring to that path, right? But if you are here walking around in a human body, you've got a spirit that is animating that physicality. So every one of us is on a spiritual path. I Some of us are just more aware and awake <laughs> about it. Yes. yes. I love that. Well, I am definitely going to put a link to that on the show notes for sure. Donna, thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing your insights um, around this topic. I know this is, you know, midlife is a time in, in our lives when we're doing a lot of reflection and there's certain parts of our lives that we may want to change or we may want to reinvent ourselves. And and so whether it's career related or relationship related or anything else, and I think, uh, you know, what we talked about and what they're going to find in your book, as well as in your website is going to be very helpful. Um, but before I let you go, <laughs> I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to really, it, this is really about you. So the, the mantra of, uh, second breaks is celebrate midlife. If I throw that phrase onto you, what springs to mind? Yeah, it sprang to mind immediately, me, immediately for me, Lou, and I love it. So in this world that we live in with all these polarities, right? The way that we can get out of the positionality and falling on a sword for our way is the right way is to get more neutral. So when I hear celebrate midlife, I think of the middle, right? Like coming into the middle. And that's exactly where we are in our life, in the middle. But when we can consciously pull ourselves away from the extremes that we can get caught up into, which really create more suffering, irregardless of which side of the pendulum you're on, it creates more suffering. So the more we can practice being in the middle, the way of the middle, I think that is something to celebrate. At 20, I was awake, and then I fell asleep. And I went through my whole life so that today, I could wake up again with a whole lot more information. I want to thank Donna Bond for sharing with us her experiences, her insight, and of course, and most importantly, her personal reinvention story. You will find all the links to her website, to her book, as well as some highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. Most importantly, thank you, my listener friend, for joining me today. If you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would do me a solid and tell a friend or two. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. And by mentioning this episode or this podcast to your friends, you're going to be helping me tremendously in reaching other midlifers who can benefit from the topics that we cover here. I'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks. Here's to a joyful and easeful week ahead. Cool beans.